You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. scripture this morning is taken from the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I'll read over them. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. This is a very familiar passage, and I want to just kind of go back for a moment and walk through what is really at the center of this, sort of break it down into its constituent parts. And the first thing that we want to note about uh, what is central to this passage is the fact that Jesus is presented as the author and finisher, the perfecter, as it were, of our faith, which is to say that all of our salvation rests in the person and work of Jesus. And to put it another way, there is nothing else for us to do to be saved that has not been done by Jesus. So that's, that's the primary point that the writer is making here. He's made this case through a number of examples, drawing from the Old Testament scriptures that where the person and work of Christ was presented progressively in type and shadow, and he just brings it home by saying that Jesus is the author and finisher. He is the perfecter of our faith. Everything that is necessary for our salvation is contained in him. That's the first thing. The second thing to note from this passage is that the writer basically describes the Christian faith as enduring in our looking unto Jesus. That's what, that's what our, our Christian life consists of. It is continuing, enduring, in looking upon the finished work of Jesus. Looking at him by faith, in worship, and living in light of what we see in Jesus. The Apostle Peter says that God has given us everything necessary for life and godliness in Christ. And so the Christian life consists of looking unto Jesus, not just in worship, but in life. Looking unto Jesus doing everything to the glory and honor of God because of what he has given us in Jesus. Now, here's the third thing that we see in this passage. Not only does the writer give us the fact that Jesus is the, the substance of our faith, he is, that's what our faith attaches itself to, and that the Christian life consists of living in a manner that continues to look 
unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. But the third thing that the writer does as he summarizes his thesis in this, this book is he reminds us of our constant challenge. If the Christian life consists of looking unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith and seeing in him that which is sufficient to take us all the way to the end, then here are the challenges. There are sins and there are weights. And this humbles us because the writer says they, those things easily beset us. In other words, we all have short attention spans. We all have some form of, I guess, ADD when it comes to understanding who we are and whose we are in this world. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying it's not only those cares of life, not just those big obstacles that can get us sidetracked, but it's even the fact of indwelling sin. Our continuing struggles with sin can cause us to avert our gaze from the finished work of Christ and we get sidetracked. We often get sidetracked, and sometimes when we get sidetracked, we can be sidetracked and not even know. You can be lost and not even know. You can lose your way. We, we stray, prone to wander. You know, that's, that's what we are, prone to leave the God we love. That's, that's the reality of the Christian life. We lose our focus, and it's for this reason that the writer says, as a way of exhortation, Look unto Jesus. And here's what we see when we look unto Jesus. We are pointed not only to his, his perfect life, but we are pointed to his, his sacrificial death on the cross, his substitutional sacrificial death on the cross. And in it, we would find that everything that God would have for us. That's what we are to do. But here's the challenge. Weights and sin. Everything, and, and, and weight is, is used sort of as a, as a catchphrase, kind of like that, that, that table in your, in your living room that catches everything, the magnet that catches everything. Weights are used to, to, to the term that's used here is, is used to, to explain everything that can distract us that may not in and of itself be sin. It can just be things. It can just be circumstances. It could just be any number of things that, that just break our gaze. So now here's what we see. The fact is that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. The Christian life consists of looking unto Jesus and all of his saving offices and all of his mercies and merits. Looking unto Jesus because we know that everything that is necessary for life and godliness is found in Jesus. But here is the reality. The reality is we break our gaze. We don't always look unto Jesus in every circumstance. We don't always look unto him as being the author and finisher of our faith. And sometimes when we look away, we wonder if he is still for us what he was before we got overtaken in sin and before we got our gaze broken. And it's for this reason that the writer then gives us some support. Now I need to debunk two things as we look at this. You notice that at the opening of the passage in verse 1, 
The writer says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And the crowd, crowd, uh, cloud of witnesses that he's referring to are those individuals that are set forth and some who are named and others who are unnamed in chapter 11. Now here's, here's two ways that we have, and these are the two things that I want to debunk, two things that we have seen relative to that, that number of people. Number one, the way they are presented in chapter 12 is as if they are looking at us, cheering us on. Some of my favorite theologians, some of my favorite preachers and Bible teachers have taken that position. That chapter 12 is it's presented almost as a, a, an athletic competition. And that great cloud of witness, these, this great cloud of witness are sitting in the stands cheering you on. That would be great, but it's just not true. These individuals are not cheering us on, and I'm going to argue for, from a couple of different vantage points. Number one, that's not what the scripture says. We'll see in a moment why they, how they are presented, and it's not as spectators, and, they're, and it's not as cheerleaders. But here's a logical and theological reason they are not cheering you on. They're not cheering you on because they are in the presence, their souls are in the presence of God. That means they are preoccupied. They are looking at something more spectacular than you. I know it's, I know it's, it's disappointing. <laughs> and, and granted, when you are in the presence of the triune God, you're not going to be looking back on what's going on on earth because your gaze is going to be so completely fixed on the sweetness and the splendor of the presence and the countenance of God that you won't have time to be concerned about anything else. But here's another reason that we know they are not cheering you on because they don't see what's going on with you. Because death does not make us omnipresent. Death doesn't make sinners who died just because you die in faith that doesn't make you co-God. God is the one who has the responsibility of looking out for those that he has saved. But here's the other thing. We know by virtue of who they are and where they are that they're not looking at us. But here's the thing that we've read into the text that's simply not there. They're not depicted as looking at us. We are told that we are surrounded really in the pages of Scripture with a great cloud of witnesses. And what do witnesses do? They testify. So their presence is to testify. Now, let's look at what, what is it they would testify. Well, before we would see what they, what they would testify to, let's look at just sort of a brief list of who it is that are the witnesses. And that's the second myth that we need to debunk. By show of hands, how many of us have referred to or have heard Hebrews 11 referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith? Okay, then I'm not alone. Good. Well, here's the second myth we need to debunk. There is no such thing as a Hall of Fame of Faith. 
I say this as a dedicated sports fan and also a dedicated music fan. And in, as a sports fan, especially baseball and basketball, football, boxing, they all have Hall of Fame. And in the Hall of Fame, you don't get so-so players in the Hall of Fame. You, there are a lot of good players who played Major League Baseball and who played professional football and who box that are simply not in the Hall of Fame. And there are some that are not in the Hall of Fame because their numbers are good, especially in baseball, who has this cloud of steroids hovering above it. So some players are held out because people suspect that their numbers are not true. In music, it's an arbitrary thing. Now, see, at least in sports, you have certain, certain levels that need to be met, and you can be a very good player and not in the Hall of Fame. But everyone who, and certainly everyone who plays the game, don't make it into the Hall of Fame. In music, it's much more arbitrary. It's people that determine whether or not, as a musician, you deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But again, there are a lot of outstanding musicians that are not in. Brothers and sisters, what the writer in Hebrews does in chapter 11, it doesn't give us this special section of special saints. It's giving us this partial list of everyone who has looked to the promises of God as fulfilled in Christ where they really are, which is in the presence of God. So because everyone who has faith in Christ is actually included, it can't be a Hall of Fame unless we're talking about a Hall of Fame for humans, in which case only those who are in Christ get in. But here's the other thing. So we, let's, let's take the, and once we take, once we take them out of the Hall of Fame, then what is Hebrews 11 describing? Because if we put them in the Hall of Fame, then we would assume that they are there because of these great exploits of faith. And the reality is the reason they are listed is not because of great deeds that they have done in faith, but it's because they didn't break their gaze from the object of their faith in spite of their circumstances and in spite of their failures. So here's what I want to do. Let's go back, as a matter of fact, and look in chapter 11, and particularly in verse 32. Beginning in verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and of Samuel and the prophets. Let's pause there for a moment. As a matter of fact, let's, let's just extract some of the names that are mentioned there. And who is it that we mentioned? Well, Gideon. What is it about Gideon that puts him here? Is the fact that he was the, the captain of only 300 troops and they went up against these, these great numbers and how the Lord cut down his army and, and, and then he was victorious. How about this? You know what Gideon was doing when, when, when uh, the angel of the Lord came to him? Gideon was hiding from the enemy. Gideon was, was, was beating out his wheat in a wine press 
because he was afraid that the enemy, if they saw him in public, they would take his, his wheat. The angel called him, you mighty man of God. And the angel says, do you know that the Lord is with you? And you know what Gideon said? If God is with me, then where are my miracles? What about Jephthah? Jephthah, you know what Jephthah, Jephthah is famous for? He made a stupid vow before God that caused him to even sacrifice his own daughter before the Lord. What about David? David was a man after God's own heart who also was an adulterer. What about, let's go back in the list. What about, what about Abraham? You say, well, Abraham, he trusted. Yes, but the man who trusted God, the man who trusted and, and left his, the land of his father and trusted God and whose trust was counted as righteousness also dimed out his wife twice offered her up and put her in danger by denying that she was his wife and just claiming that she was his sister. Oh, what about Sarah? She's mentioned. What about Sarah? When God told her that she was going to bear a child, she laughed. And then when she saw that he was serious, she offered up her handmaid to her husband. That's who was in our Hall of Fame. What are they witnesses to? They are witnesses to the fact that looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus is what he is the author and finisher of our faith. And looking unto Jesus by faith extinguishes all of our sins. And there is nothing that we can gain and nothing that we can do in all of our horizontal experiences that can cause God to no longer see us as his own. In other words, they are witnesses to the fact that in Jesus we have grace that is greater than all of our sins. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Our whole life, our Christian life, is defined and determined by looking unto him. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, we're going to look away at times. The reality is we will be beset by shiny objects and sin. But the reality is that he has endured all the way to the cross. Look unto Jesus, because in him is the fullness of God's saving grace for sinners who look away from him, and if they are left to look unto themselves, they will be like any one of those individuals in chapter 11, but without the object of their faith. Look unto Jesus, because he's the author and finisher of our faith. And the thing that I love about Jesus is he doesn't try to do anything. He does it. And what he's done is he has saved us completely. He is, he is the alpha and the omega of our salvation. And brothers and sisters, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. 
Your sin and your weight you must contend with. But don't let your sin and your weight cause you to look away from Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we come to you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come to you as children, children who have been saved by your grace, indwelt by your Spirit, and are seen as seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us and speaks to us in all of our circumstances, in all of our situations, knowing that indeed we are prone to wander and we are prone to be overtaken by the cares of this world. But we pray that by your spirit and through your word, you would continue to strengthen us, that we would gaze upon Jesus and see him only. And in seeing him, we would see the full satisfaction for all that you have required for our guilt. And in him, we would see the full righteousness that you have required of your image bearers. Thank you for your grace in Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.